You're listening to the PMO Strategies Podcast, where PMO leaders become impact drivers. This is episode 96. Hey there, Impact Driver. Welcome to the PMO Strategies Podcast. I am your host, Laura Bernard. And today we're going to talk about why I believe project portfolio management is one of the most important services that you can build and deliver in your organization if you are setting up a PMO or even if you already have a PMO and you're looking to take it up a notch. And this even works if you are a PMO of one person. And in fact, I think it's probably the most important service for you to implement if you are a PMO of one. And I'm going to dive into why that is, how you can do it right, and what mistakes to avoid in today's episode. Before we dive in, this episode is sponsored by my free masterclass, the game-changing techniques to delivering a PMO that makes an impact, no matter the size or type of organization you're in, or even how big your PMO is. This works for PMOs of one and PMOs of hundreds of people. So join me for this free masterclass at pmostrategies.com forward slash PMO. That's pmostrategies.com forward slash PMO. I can't wait to see you there. Okay, let's dive in. Now, last week, I talked about the ways that you can be super successful, even if you are a PMO of one person. I call them PMOs of one or a one person PMO. The place that many of us start when we're building a PMO from scratch They're not really sure if they're all in on supporting this concept of a PMO. And so they really want to try some things out first and maybe they put one person in charge and then throw them to the wolves and hope for the best, right? You know those kind of PMOs. Well, unfortunately, that's where many people start. And so when you are a PMO of one, and don't worry, we're going to talk about what to do if you're not. But if you are a PMO of one, then I believe there are some really critical places you can start and places that you can show value and truly be incredibly impactful. In fact, I have tons of students in my Impact Engine PMO training and implementation program and also in the group coaching that are seeing incredibly great results. And many of them started as a PMO of one and same in the consulting practice. I go in and I help as that trusted advisor to both the executive, but also to the PMO leader, helping them figure out how to build this thing from scratch. So I know it can be done. I did it many times when I was inside organizations as a PMO leader for 15 years and also with my clients and students over the last nine years. So Trust me here when I tell you, you can absolutely be incredibly successful as a PMO of one. And I dove into a lot of ways that you can do that in last week's episode. But one thing I promised at the end of last week's episode was that I would go deeper on the first service that I believe a PMO of one, or frankly, any size PMO should start with. So what is that one most important service I believe you can deliver to make an impact quickly? I mean, if you're trying to figure out where you can have a big impact, build credibility, earn a seat at a table, and truly make a big difference quickly, 
I suggest you start at the portfolio level. And here's why. Most of the time, when a PMO leader is being brought in, whether it's a team of one or a team of 50, there's some kind of a gap going on between the projects that are happening and the business leader's ability to effectively govern those projects. They don't have the oversight that they need and projects aren't as successful as they could be. I mean, that's literally why they brought you there, right? And no matter what you do at the project level, if you don't address that oversight and insight that comes from having a singular portfolio perspective, none of what you do at the project level is really going to matter because they will be making isolated decisions at the project level that could have impacts that are much bigger across the whole organization. And they're not even going to see it. They're not going to know because they don't have that portfolio perspective that shows them the impacts of decisions they're making on these isolated projects and how that could influence other projects across the portfolio. Let's take an example, resource management, right? How many of you have dedicated, isolated resources that are 100% dedicated to your projects and never work on anything else ever? Yeah, probably not that many of you, especially your subject matter experts, right? So they need to be considered and their capacity needs to be considered across all of the projects that they're working on. And if you're just looking at the dependencies of that resource on your particular project, before you know it, you're going to end up in that situation where this person is 300% booked and nobody's paying attention to it. And they're overworked, they're frustrated, and their functional manager is getting sick of being complained to because nobody is paying attention to the fact that you have over allocated this resource 300% of what they can do. So how do you know that portfolio management is the thing that they really need solved? Well, did you have pain point and opportunity conversations with them early in the process to understand what they really need? Did you do a thorough assessment to say, hey, what's keeping you up at night? What are the problems you're having? How can I help you solve the things you want solved? By the way, you got to do those first so you can get to the things you know they actually need after you've built credibility with them and solved their immediate needs. If you're not sure if you've actually done that enough, then I would suggest you go back and listen to episode 19 and episode 20, where I give you a detailed breakdown of the questions you need to ask before starting a PMO. And don't worry, you can still ask them if you've already started a PMO. And 20, where I help you assess the organization for impact opportunities. It's called the secret to a PMO they'll love. And the secret is you solve the business problems that they know that they really want solved. So let's assume you've done that proper assessment work. Now, did they say anything to you in those conversations about a lack of transparency, not knowing what projects are going on in the organization, not really understanding the impacts between projects, really having struggles with resource allocation and resource utilization, not being able to make timely and informed decisions. All of that is symptoms of a problem with a lack of a portfolio perspective. Now, here's an example to really drive it home for you. One of my students in one of our recent coaching sessions was talking about how she's setting up a new PMO and in conversations with the business leaders, they're asking questions about which projects the PMO should be involved in. Should they be involved in just the large projects that are across departments? 
Should they be involved in the small ones and the mediums as well? And then they started diving into a rabbit hole of trying to define a small, medium and large project. Now, this is really good stuff to do. And in fact, I teach my students how to do this in our Impact Engine PMO program. And I think that that rabbit hole is going to distract them from the bigger problem. They don't even have a really good list of what the projects are that are happening in the organization. They don't have that full scope and understanding of what's currently taking place. So they don't even know if small, medium, and large is the way to describe the projects and whether or not the PMO should be involved. What if they should be looking at which ones are running way over budget, which ones are not going to achieve their return on investment expected, which ones are really off track with scope? There are other criteria that they probably should be using to define which projects actually require PMO attention in the short term, and size probably isn't it. But because they don't have that big picture perspective, they don't know what they don't know. And so it's going to be really hard for them to make good, educated, informed decisions about where the PMO will spend its precious energy and focus because they don't have the whole picture. So I think it's really important in that scenario and in pretty much every other one I've been in that your business leaders, the ones that need to make the decisions, the ones that are driving this transformation, this change, this strategy delivery, this portfolio of client projects, that they get a good, clean picture of what's happening. And here's the secret. It doesn't have to be complicated. One of the biggest reasons that portfolio management fails is that it is made too complicated right from the start. And this ties back to my theory that people tend to confuse complicated and more and completeness with effectiveness. And that's not necessarily the case. In fact, I think we get so caught up in defining our value by the number and quantity and things we create, the outputs, that we sometimes lose sight of the actual outcomes we're achieving. And I believe that the bigger the outputs, the smaller the outcomes you can achieve in many cases. Here's what I mean. If you have a very complicated portfolio management structure in place, and I'm not talking tools yet. We'll talk about that in a minute. I'm just talking about the way that you're gathering the information, the information you're reporting to your stakeholders and sponsors, the quantity of stuff that you're putting in front of people, the more complicated that is, the more time and energy is being spent on gathering that information, processing that information, reporting on that information, and consuming that information. And when you make it really dense with information, you are making it harder for your business leaders to make educated and informed decisions quickly. And the longer it takes for them to make those decisions, the longer it takes for your projects to move forward. Especially if you have one of those sponsors or decision makers that tends to hem and haw over the information and they're not quite sure and they're a little tentative. Well, part of the reason they might be struggling is that they either don't trust the data because by the way, it's really hard for you to make sure that that data is accurate all the time because you're collecting so much of it. Or it's overwhelming because there's so much information that they are just kind of stuck and they can't make a decision. 
I believe you should give them just enough information to make those good decisions, make sure that they understand what's going on, being educated, and they're informed about where things are currently, where they're headed. There's no gotchas, surprises, or blind spots. And then you stop. You stop gathering data. You stop trying to add more information to the process. You stop adding more columns to your spreadsheet. You just stop. Give them what they need to know, not every single possible data point you can collect. As an aside, if you're interested in learning more about this topic, I do a whole podcast episode number 36 on project communications, even your sponsor will love. And I explain this one page executive dashboard that we've been using for years to communicate the right level of information to our sponsors so that they can make decisions. Bottom line here is your portfolio management process and the data you collect and the way you're reporting on it does not have to be super complicated to be effective. Like I said, I think the simpler it is, the more effective it is, because as long as it has the critical information that really drives the decisions and creates the actions as a result, that's all you need. So when you're starting to put a portfolio management function in place, you want to make it super simple with maybe a handful of data points. Really, what do you need to know? As an executive, you can ask the executives, what do they really need? And they're going to tell you, I need to know, are we on track or off track? You can handle that with a nice stoplight chart, red, yellow, green. They want to know if you're on budget, off budget, if you are going to achieve the scope that you said you were going to achieve. And ultimately, you know what they want to know? Is this going to have the return on investment that we expected? If not, why not? Can we get that back on track? They want to know the project is worth doing in the first place and that it continues to stay worth it throughout the entire project delivery life cycle. And they don't want to be blindsided. So if you can cover that in a handful of metrics, that's really all you need to know. Now, over time, as your stakeholders become more sophisticated and as they start asking more sophisticated questions, you as a group can decide, should we add another data point to this portfolio view to help drive other decisions? But don't fall into the trap of just because we can collect that data, we're going to, because that's when you create a monster of a portfolio management process instead of something that is accelerating change and accelerating getting to that impact because that's your goal. You are trying to accelerate achieving the outcomes and everything in your process, including the portfolio management, should be streamlined and optimized. And that will ensure that it's actually helping you get to that return on investment faster and maximizing that return on investment for every project across the portfolio. Now, here's another trap you want to make sure you don't fall into. And this is For a PMO of one or a PMO of hundreds, it doesn't matter. This is still a danger spot I want you to think about because timing is everything. When I say portfolio management, a lot of people immediately think automation and tools. And as the computer science degree on my wall will tell you, I am a tech geek and I love my tools. I love using technology to make things happen faster, make things easier and achieve outcomes faster. And if you put a portfolio management tool in place too early, you will be making a huge mistake. Here's why. 
When we think about putting a portfolio management tool in place, we're thinking, great, let's automate this stuff. We need all the data in the right place. We need to streamline, etc. And those are all good intentions. And the problem is, if you haven't fixed your process first, if you haven't determined what portfolio data points you need, what's going to be in that portfolio, how you're going to use it to drive decisions, what the data is you even need to collect in the first place, what that process would look like for collecting that data. I mean, your requirements. If you haven't figured all of that stuff out first, what's going to happen is you are going to automate stuff that's broken. And what will that do? That's just going to make you fail faster. You're just going to put yourself in a position where you're actually accelerating the pace of getting to broken and a total disaster faster. If you've ever seen a portfolio tool being put in place and not being adopted, a couple of things have happened. One, the right level of organizational change management was not done to make sure that people were included in the process, requirements were understood, and stakeholders were effectively engaged early and often so they didn't feel like it was being done to them. That's for sure. And it's likely that the right requirements were not completely understood. So the tool doesn't actually solve the business problems it needs to solve. So it's very important that you do what we talked about first, which was figuring out really what the requirements are and understanding the data points that you really need to collect. And you can think ahead with, well, these are other data points we might want down the road to have in your requirements process for tool selection, et cetera, but just don't start tool first. You've got to make sure you're not going to automate a bad process that's going to be really difficult to unwind, all while you continue to lose credibility with your stakeholders and sponsors because you're putting something in place that really was a disaster. And by the way, despite what you may think and despite what your CTO might have told you, you aren't there to implement a tool. That's not why they brought you to the organization. It may be how they are articulating it, but it's not the reason you're there. You are there to solve business problems. You're not even there to solve project problems because solving the project problems without addressing the real, true, core, fundamental business problems that they're having means that you will fall short of their expectations, even if they don't realize it right now. And if you don't get a hold of all of that really early in the process, when you go to the organization, again, you've got to do that assessment work. You could find yourself in a situation that some of my students have had to deal with early in the process and I've helped them through it. Here's what happens. A business department says, oh, don't worry, we've already implemented a tool over in our little area. For example, like a marketing team or a sales team and they are using a tool that actually isn't going to solve the broader business problems for the organization. For example, there are some great task management and collaboration management tools out there that maybe don't even do much project management as we would think of it. Or if they do project management, what do they do about resource management and allocation of resources across projects? Absolutely nothing. What about portfolio view? Can you get a real connected portfolio view of everything that's going on in your organization? Probably not. So when you are thinking about how you can help an organization implement a tool 
to automate process, you've got to make sure that you're looking at all of the processes in the organization and that you get in front of this early so that you don't have other departments going off and solving the problem themselves because you're taking too long and putting in a tool that they then have a battle with you about because they love it and it doesn't do a darn thing to solve the greater business problems like getting some transparency, being able to effectively manage and allocate resources across projects and maximize utilization and really get a feel for how we can drive a greater return on investment for the entire portfolio projects. Those are things you cannot do with some of these task collaboration, project management level tools that are great maybe for a marketing team or a sales team, but they're not going to do anything for helping you across the real technical complicated projects that you'll have in your organization. So the bottom line here, make sure that you address portfolio management early in the process, early in your organization so that you can nip any of these tool implementations in the bud across different departments and make sure that you look at process before tools because you really don't want to automate a bad process because the tool won't fit the needs when you finally get your act together on getting good process in place and automating or accelerating broken process just means you're going to fail even faster and that's going to keep you further and further away from building credibility earning your seat at the table, making a big impact early, and ultimately helping your business leaders achieve a high return on investment for the strategy. Before we go today, I wanna to give you a very simple example to show you just how easy this can be. And this is something you can do with a PMO of one or a PMO of many. If you're building a PMO and trying to get portfolio management in place, as I said, you wanna start easy. So here's an example of one thing I did in an organization that didn't have portfolio management when I got there, but they were certainly doing a lot of projects and these were customer facing projects. And when I asked them the priority of all of these customer engagements, you know what they told me. Well, of course, they're all number one priority, right? <laughs> We've heard that before. And I said, okay, great. So we have unlimited time, unlimited money, unlimited resources. Oh, no, no, no. We don't have any of that. Okay, so then we better get these prioritized. You know the first thing I did with them? I didn't try and implement a tool. I didn't even get out my laptop and start building a spreadsheet. I just got in front of them with a whiteboard and said, okay, let's list all of the projects here. Great, okay, now that we finally got a list of all of our clients, let's see how they're doing. Talk to me about how these projects are going right now. Just the highest level, on track, off track, Angry customers, not so angry customers, early in the process, late in the process, when's the next major milestone for these clients? Basic, basic stuff. Once I did that, I said, great, okay, now let's prioritize them. Mind you, I'm still using a whiteboard here. And we did this in a couple hour session. It doesn't have to be long or complicated. Now, they really didn't want to prioritize these clients one through N. That was causing way too much heartburn for them. So I started by meeting them where they are. And I said, okay, how about this? How about we just prioritize them in buckets? Bucket A, bucket B, and bucket C. All the ones that have big dollar amounts that are coming due to us, the ones that, the ones where we have really angry customers or we're really off track, let's put those in bucket A. 
big clients, big dollars, and also big impact if we mess this up, right? So those went into bucket A and we found the bucket B's and the bucket C's. And for an entire quarter, and because I like to do things in 90 day cycles, we just talked about these as a bucket A client, bucket B client, bucket C client, and started the momentum of having different conversations with our teams about their prioritized time based on which bucket these clients felt into. Then after that, next quarter, we started adding more information. I finally got them to one through N on the priorities. We added a little bit more data around the scope and the schedule and the budget and things like that. And that went into a spreadsheet and that spreadsheet was managed and shared with others. So all project stakeholders and project team members knew the status and the latest information on each of those projects. And lo and behold, that simple spreadsheet posted on my door outside of my office, this was many, many years ago, changed the way people operated in the organization because everybody, not just the business leaders, had transparency. Everyone knew what was going on. Everyone knew that if there was a bucket A project that was in red status, that was probably the first thing they should be working on in their day. We made projects move faster without changing anything else at the project level. I mean, eventually we did, but the first thing we did was fix the portfolio view, not just for the business leaders, but for all project team members and stakeholders. Everyone knew where the projects were and everyone could change their own behavior to move those projects forward that were behind schedule, that had urgent needs, or that were in that bucket A priority. So you see, it doesn't have to be complicated. We did it with a basic spreadsheet. We printed it out and put it on the office door so that everybody could see what was going on. And we started with a whiteboard marker and a whiteboard and a few people sitting around a conference room table. And over time, we evolved our portfolio management process and got things even more refined. And then eventually, once we felt really good about what we were doing and that we had the information we needed to make those educated and informed decisions, then we automated it. And then things moved like lightning because at that point now we had a process that everyone had gotten used to everyone had been a part of evolving you see what i'm doing here bringing people along with me in the change process getting people used to the process over time evolutionary versus revolutionary and now that that was stabilized and we had a good portfolio management process in place and we had automated it we could turn our attention to streamlining and optimizing the project delivery process so that that was even more efficient as well. But it's so much easier if you have that bigger picture and can see a holistic view of everything that's going on and where you need to focus your energy next before you start diving into specifics on each project. And there you have it. Project portfolio management does not have to be complicated, stressful, overwhelming, or all consuming to be effective. In fact, I believe the simpler and easier it is to implement and participate in, the better off you are in the long run. And you only automate when you have a process worth automating. 
Okay, that's it for today's episode. I really hope you enjoyed what you heard today. And if you did, I would love for you to join me for my free masterclass that is all about the game-changing techniques that you must know to build a PMO that creates a huge impact. And don't worry, if you've already got a PMO in place, I've got you covered because we're not only going to talk about what the newbies should do, but those of us that are experienced that really need to build more credibility, gain more support in the organization and constantly up level their services and capabilities to make that big impact that you know you can make, this masterclass is for you. So just go to pmostrategies.com forward slash PMO. That's pmostrategies.com forward slash PMO. And I will share with you so many of my secrets learned over spending 25 years in the PMO and project management space, making a big impact. I cannot wait to see you there. Bye-bye for now.